From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Use the paper Bible, or you can bust out your phone and open up the app. It's also going to be on the screen. We're going to read the whole chapter together. The whole chapter of Ruth, chapter 3, because it's lengthy, but we need some context to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, and it's good. It's a good story. So Ruth, chapter 3, beginning of the beginning. Are we ready? Yeah? Here we go. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you've showed earlier. You have not run after the younger man, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do whatever you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could recognize her, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me a shawl you were wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her, Then he went back down to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. God, we love you and we thank you that we have the scriptures that we can learn and glean from this morning. And God, as you say in the New Testament, all scripture is breathed from you and is good for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness. And so I pray this morning that as we look at this story, would you teach us something? Would you reveal something to us? And God, let us leave here changed and transformed by your word. Give us a little bit of hope. God, for those who need some more hope this morning, we pray for hope. For those who need vision, God, for those who are maybe going through a situation and need to wait on you, God, I pray that this morning you would speak to them. In the name of Jesus, we love you, God. This is for your glory. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I like to use things wisely and efficiently so I don't need to waste more money on things. Anybody like me? 
I like to spend money on things that count and not things that don't really count, like, like soap. Hear, hear me out. Soap is important, right? Soap is used to clean things. If you didn't know, now you know. Some of you need to go buy some soap. But soap, <laughs> soap is something I don't want to waste unnecessarily because I don't want to spend more money on soap. Hold on, I'm getting there. Water is another thing. Water is a very hot commodity. Did you know there's people in our nation that don't have access to clean drinking water? We think of countries overseas. We think of third world nations. But there are people in our nation, in Canada, that do not have access to clean drinking water. So I don't want to waste water unnecessarily. I don't want to pay more money for water. Now these two things, soap and water, collide in my home in the bathroom. You see, I have these two beautiful boys that I believe their sole purpose in life is to use as much soap as possible and mess up our entire counter. I, I literally have an image of my head of them going into the bathroom. And you know in those movies when it's like a fun part where it kind of slows down a little bit and everyone's laughing and the music is kind of going? Like I picture them laughing and, and they're just grabbing water and just sprinkling it everywhere and, and scooping it and throwing it and, saying, and laughing hard and saying, let's make daddy go crazy. Yeah, and water's just everywhere. I, I, think they, I think they open the tap, and they take cups of it like this, and they just pour it on the counter. And then what they like to do is they like to take the soap, and they don't like to just use soap. They like to use the lever on the soap. And so they push the lever as far down as it can go so they can get as much soap as possible onto the palm of their hands. Because, again, it's not about the quantity of the soap. It's about the lever going down. Now, I don't like this. And I, I don't like how crazy it makes me feel. Because I know there's a better way. And I say to them, boys, there's a better way. It doesn't have to be this way. Water does not have to leave the sink. It can, it can stay right in this, this beautiful bowl. It's created just for this purpose. And so I say to them, I say, listen, true story, true story. I say, look, all you need to do is you, you push the lever down just a little bit. You get a, a little dab of soap. A little dab will do you. I try to use that phrase a lot because I feel like if it gets in their heads, they'll, they'll learn. A little dab will do you. A little soap will go a long way. And then you bring the soap to the tap. You turn on the tap and look, water's not even leaving the bowl. Isn't this fantastic? And look how much soap is created, created from just a little bit. And you know the funny thing is they're six and four years old. So for them, this is magical. Wow. Look at all the soap that comes from a little bit. Now, in a, in a really strange way, I was, as I was going through this process of, of writing this message this morning, I was thinking about this scene because just like a little soap will get you a long way, a little hope will get you a long way. A little, a little bit of hope can do wonders. A little bit of hope can get you through a desperate situation. A little bit of hope can bring enormous amounts of light to a dark place. All you need is a little hope. Turn to somebody and say, a little hope. A little hope. A little hope. Naomi in this story was once in a hopeless situation. A very hopeless situation. She despaired to the point where she said, don't call me Naomi, which meant pleasant. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So she was in an incredibly hopeless situation. But now she's found a little bit of hope in Ruth and more in Boaz. And that hope has given her, in the text we've just read, life. 
and vision for a potential future. Vision for a potential future. So let me just catch you up if you've, if you've missed us. We're in this, this story of the book of Ruth about this family who found themselves in a very hopeless situation. The, the book of Ruth is written in the time of Judges when the, God's people, the Israelites, did what was right in their own minds, the Bible says. So basically they say, what's good for me is good for me. It's my life. I'll do what I want to, right? Don't tell me how to live my life. It's right to me. It's right. This kind of sounds like our culture a little bit sometimes, right? And so this is the time that this story has taken place, and there's a famine in the land. In chapter 1, we read that a man named Elimelech decides to move his family from God's land, the promised land, to the land of Moab because he just decides that he wants to provide for his family. But the problem is, is he removes God out of the equation. He doesn't consider God. And we talked about this. We talked about when the going gets tough, do we go to God or do we get going? That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Now what happens is, is he dies and his sons die, and there's no babies, and Naomi and her daughter-in-laws are left in this very hopeless, tragic situation. So they hear that the famine has ended, and they pack up their bags, and they head back to Judah. And in chapter 2 last week, we learned that Ruth, knowing that they have nothing to eat, says, I'm going to go find some food. I'm going to go glean on the, fle- on the fields. Now, gleaning is a very humiliating thing to do. Basically, what farmers would do is they would allow, when they harvest the grain, they would allow a little grain to fall on the fields and just leave that for the poor. Or they would, they would harvest their, their farm, their, their land, but they would leave the corners of the field unharvested so the poor could come in and get some food. And so Ruth, as it so turns out, just happens to stumble upon the field of Boaz, who just happens to be a relative of Elimelech and a guardian redeemer, which meant that he had the responsibility and the duty, according to God's law, to redeem and help this family in need. And we talked about this. We talked about what are the chances? What are the chances? And we, we said that, that God can divinely orchestrate events in your life in such a way as to allow his will and his purposes for your life to unfold. Right? The Bible says that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called to according to his good purposes. Not just, not just some things, but God works all things. And so, so a little bit of hope is restored to, to Naomi and to Ruth. And then we enter into chapter 3 because we see that Boaz has shown kindness. And then, um, and, and then they find themselves here. So Naomi has this, this little bit of hope. Hope has been restored. She's got a little bit of life in her now. She has vision for her future. And I just thought, you know what? A little hope goes a long way. A little hope goes a long way. They have lost. They're still in a time of need. They still have nothing, but now they got vision for the next step. I was, uh, I was watching a very powerful and profound documentary called The Flash, which for those of you who know is not a documentary or profound or powerful. It's actually a TV show about a superhero who can run really fast named The Flash. And I'm watching this. And in the story, the Flash ends up in jail. Yes, I'm using this as an illustration. The Flash ends up in jail in prison, and he meets a guy there who's an angry, big, large, bitter man. And he's in prison because he had killed the security guard. But as the story unfolds, he didn't actually kill the security guard. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he finds himself in prison without hope. Literally, he just says, I'm hopeless. And so the Flash being the Flash, being the superhero, says, I, I know a team, I know, I know people that can look into your case and get you out. And he says this, he says, don't do it. Hope is, is bad in a place like this. Hope gets you killed because what happens is hope doesn't work out and then you end up worse than you were to begin with. Don't do it. Well, the Flash does it anyway. He looks into it, he gets his team to look into it, and they begin to make some headway, and this guy gets a little bit of hope. 
This guy gets a little bit of hope. This big, big, angry, bitter man begins to have a smile on his face. And you can literally just watch in the show. It's profound. The countenance of his, of his situation changes. Now, the Flash gets a call, and the story goes that it didn't work out. They couldn't actually look, get into his case the way they wanted to, and they couldn't solve, solve the, the case. And so he looks at them, and he says, I'm sorry. And he says, don't worry about it. I forgot what hope felt like. See, hope goes a long way. Naomi's in this situation. They have nothing. And now they have vision for the future, and they come up with a plan for Ruth. See, without, without vision for your future, without vision for what could be, without dreams, there's no action. There's no plan. There's no next step. We have hope here at Parkway. In this church, we have hope. We have hope that God is doing incredible things in and amongst our community. We have hope that God is going to work in people's lives and people are going to experience Jesus in a life-changing way. We have hope that, that God is going to add daily to, to this group the number of those that are being saved. And so that we, just like the book of Acts, we have to spread out even further. We have to go even further. I'm thinking like, like ministry teams and, and life groups. We have hope that many people are going to come to know God. We have hope that people are going to find freedom and, and grow in their faith and discover their talents and gifts. We have, we have hope that people are going to use those talents and those gifts and those abilities that God has given them to make a difference. We have hope. Because we have hope, we plan. Because we have vision for what could be, we plan and we act. See, without hope for the future, without vision, there is no action, there is no plan. So my question for you is, do you have hope for your future? Do you have hope for your future? Do you have vision for your life? Can you look ahead and imagine the things that God has in store for you? Can you look beyond the moment? Can you look beyond today? Can you look beyond what's happening right now in your life and picture what lays ahead? Naomi didn't have that a couple chapters ago, but now she does. She's got a little bit of hope in a hopeless situation. And now she has a plan. She says to Ruth, we need to get a home for you. We need to find you a man. We need to find you a good man, and that man is Boaz. He's a wealthy man. He's mature. He's got authority, and he's a guardian redeemer, which means that he has the responsibility to help us out. So here's the plan. Freshen up. Put on some perfume because you kind of smell like you've been gleaning in the fields a little bit. You know, put on some nice clothes, and then at nighttime, go to the threshing floor where they were separating the grain from the shaft. And when he goes down to sleep, wait till he's sleeping. Don't go to him when he's awake. Wait till he's sleeping and uncover the bottom of his blanket. And then just lay at his feet. Doesn't that sound like the perfect flirting situation? <laughs> wait till they're asleep. Remove the bottom of their blanket and lay at their feet. This is a fantastic idea. And, and just so you know, this is not a flirting situation. What it actually is is a marriage proposal. She's actually laying on his feet to propose. That's what Jody did to me, just so you know. <laughs> she, she, she laid at my feet, and I thought, any woman that's willing to lay at my feet is a keeper. That is not true. That is not how it happened. And she's with the kids right now, so she's going to hate that I said that. It's just a joke. This was a radical plan. This was a radical plan. But, but we know that God is in this, right? We have to keep in mind that we know God is orchestrating these events from behind, behind the scenes. And we know this for a couple of reasons. One, we know the end of the story. If you read ahead, I'm not going to spoil it. I might spoil it a little bit later on, but I'm not going to spoil it. We know this because this story made it into the Holy Scriptures. 
We know this because the, the idea of a kinsman or guardian redeemer is a God idea to protect widows and, and protect people and the poor and land and heritage. We, there's actually a law written in the, in the law of Moses for this. See, a, a kinsman redeemer, a guardian redeemer, would buy property that belonged to a dead relative. Um, they would marry a, a widow of a dead sibling to protect and provide and keep property in the family and allow the name of the deceased to carry on beyond them. All right, this, was, this, was, this was part of God's law. We know that God is in this story because God is a kinsman redeemer. Think about what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for you. He bought your life when you were dead so that you could be made alive in him and so that you could go on to live into eternity. So we know that God is in this radical plan, right? We know that God is in this and behind all this. But listen, just because God is directing, directing things in his providence, just because God is orchestrating events doesn't mean that we don't plan and we don't act. It doesn't mean that we don't, we don't do our part. We do, what we do is we make plans that include God. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about Elimelech. He made plans that removed God. He, he didn't include God in his plans. He just went about his way. But we make plans that include God based on hearing from God, and then we take a step of faith, believing that God has given us that vision and that hope, and we act accordingly. As a, as a family, my family, with our young children, we made a plan based on what we believed God was saying to us. And we risked coming here. First Sunday in January this year, 2019, we preached the call. For those of you who don't know what that means, is basically mean we come and we preach, and the members of this church vote whether or not we're worthy to be here, which is incredibly intimidating. But we stepped out in faith. We made a plan because we believed that God was in this. We could have been rejected, it could have not worked out, but we took that step of faith. Hope guided Naomi, gave her vision, and she made this crazy plan, but this crazy plan was a huge step of faith for Ruth because, because Ruth had to lay all the cards on the table, right? Nothing was going to be hidden after this moment. Everything was going to be on the table. It was, it was risky because it put both Ruth and Boaz in a very compromising situation. She could have easily been rejected, and she could have lost all hope. She could have easily been humiliated. Boaz could have mocked her. He could have accused her. He could have taken advantage of her. It was a very risky situation. The nature of the, of the relationship would change forever. It would never be the same after this night. She risked all the benefit, all the material benefit that Boaz had provided for her and Naomi just to get him. You know a man is worth it, right, when you're willing to risk it all? You know what, just as a side note, sometimes we, we risk it all for the wrong kind of people, though. Single people, sometimes you, you risk it all for the person that just looks in your direction. But this was a man who was worthy of, of, of risking it all. So she took the step and hoped that Boaz wouldn't reject her but welcome their proposal. Now, here's the spoiler. Okay, listen to this. In the end, they get married. They have a son who's the great-grandfather or the grandfather of David. Jesus comes from the line of David. What would have happened if she didn't take that step of faith? Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, right? The Word become flesh, creator and sustainer of all things, the author and perfecter of our faith, comes from the lineage of David, David's grandfather, 
is Ruth's son. What would have happened? What would have happened if she didn't take that step of faith? Now, she's not thinking about that. She's not thinking about that. She's not thinking about generations and generations, and she's not thinking about a savior. She's thinking about her situation, right? They're thinking about their moment. But, but if she didn't take this step of faith, what would have come all that? When was the last time you took a real step of faith? When was the last time you put your hope in what you felt God was saying to you, and you took that step of faith, which required you to trust in him because it risked a lot? Risked a lot. Right, when was the last time? You put all your cards on the table for something you believe God was saying to your heart. I think we don't have the courage to be radical in our faith, to take those kind of risks in our faith, believing what God is telling us to do, because we have some misplaced hope. We don't put our hope in the God who's, who we believe is speaking to us. We don't put in a, our hope in the God who says he's with us always. We don't put our hope in the creator of all things and the sustainer of life. The Bible says that he holds our breath in his very hands, which means because you are still breathing, it's a God thing. But we don't put our hope in God. We put our hope in us, and we know that we are not sufficient, and so we don't make the big faith moves, right? Because we don't trust. We don't have faith. What if we took such radical faith steps, though, that drastically changed the outcome of our lives for the good, but not only our lives, but generations to come, right? What if there was a generation of people, what if there was a generation, we were talking about this in our rally this morning, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, whose lives are going to be impacted by the faith moves we make, whether or not you make that move of faith. I believe God is prepared to do incredible things in and through your life if you just take that step of faith. I believe that God is prepared and willing to do great things in Parkway Church if we take steps of faith, if we risk for what God is calling us to do. And all it takes, all it takes is a little bit of hope. A little dab will do you. A little bit of hope. See, taking a step of faith could unlock the future God has for you. So I'm going to take a step of faith and maybe start that nonprofit. I'm going to take a step of faith and maybe join that nonprofit. I'm going to take a step of faith and, and walk over to my neighbor and, and finally invite them to church. I'm going to take a step of faith and, and, and offer my savings to that organization. I'm going to take a step of faith and risk it all and go on that missions trip to that restricted access nation. I'm going to take a step of faith and start to tithe regularly. I'm going to take a step of faith and make a huge sacrifice for the kingdom, change careers for my family, church, kids, my character, my heart. I'm going to make a faith move believing that God is directing me. What faith move do you need to take? What do you feel like God's been speaking to you that you have yet to make that faith step? All you need is a little hope. A little hope that the God who is speaking to you is directing you. The God who has spoke to you, who's, who's put something in your heart, who's encouraging you, is in charge of the results, is in charge of the outcome, right? He's not just the God who sets you up, but he guides you and fulfills and, and provides the success on the other end. God's not going to call you to something. God's not going to ask you to do something and not provide on the other side. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not like, oops, didn't see that coming. No, 
He's the God who says, I got plans beyond this that you can't even comprehend. Do you know what we were talking about in our rally this morning? That the things we do on Sunday morning, how we serve as a, as a dream team, how we give is not just about what's happening at Parkway Church right now, but it's about what happens at Parkway Church 40 years from now. Like this gathering this morning and how we gather this morning and how we worship this morning and how we respond this morning and how we serve this morning and what we do with what God's spoken to us after this morning is going to impact this church 40 years from now. Wow. So why don't we take a step of faith and believe that God is in it all? Right? Why don't we take a step of faith? See, Ruth takes this step and she puts all of her hope in Boaz because without, of his, without his redemption, she essentially has nothing. She essentially has nothing. Without the possibility of him redeeming her family, she's got nothing. And that's, that's what our hope in Jesus should be like. Our hope in Jesus should be to such a level that without him, we have nothing. That without him, my life is worthless. Without him, it is meaningless. And that's actually what atheists believe. That life is meaningless, right? We're just the time, chance, and, and the mixture of chemicals going on, processing our brain, slime that's mixed up, and just happen to be here, right? That, that, that the relationship you have is just, it's just chemicals firing in your brain. It means nothing, really. Your future, whatever, you die and then you're gone and that's it. That's it. But we have faith in Jesus and a hope in Jesus that says without him, I'm nothing. Without him, my life is nothing. Without the sacrifice he made on the cross, my eternity, my eternal destination is in the line. And so I hope in him. And I make big steps of faith believing that he's in this. So Ruth makes this crazy big step of faith, right? Goes to the threshing floor, lifts up the, I don't understand it, but it was Old, Old Testament, lifts up the bed sheet, lays out some bare, stinky feet, and proposes, will you marry me? Now, Boaz's reaction is amazing, and it really reveals his character. Right? At first, he's kind of just like, who's there? What is going on? It's Ruth. He's like, oh, the Lord bless you. Like, if, if I woke up and found someone lying at the bottom of my feet that's not my cat, even when I find my cat at the bottom of my feet, I'm just like, call the cops. Like, this is just wrong. <laughs> right? That's my leg zone. You don't get up in my leg zone. I just get claustrophobic. Get out of here, cat person. But he's like, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. Your kindness is greater than the kindness you showed before. He's talking about her faithfulness to Naomi. You've not ran after the younger man, so we know he, he's more mature. Everyone knows that you're a catch, right? All the people of the town know that you're a woman of noble character. You know, what are people saying about you in the town? What's your reputation like? It's true, I'm a guardian redeemer of our family. This is happening in the middle of the night. But there is another who is more closely related than I. If he wants to fill his duty, then let him. If he doesn't, I'm in. He doesn't take advantage of her. He doesn't disgrace her. He doesn't mock her. He just says, there's someone who's a closer relative to you that according to God's law has the right and duty to redeem you and your family. So let's go ask him first. Let's go ask him first. In reacting this way, he's showing his character. I've heard this said before, and you've probably heard it said before, that, that character is who you are when no one is looking. 
Character is who you are when no one's looking. Your character, your true nature is who you are when no one is around. What do you do when nobody's watching? That's who you are. What do you do when no one's watching? What do you do when no one is paying attention? We have two people here alone in a dark place in the middle of the night. They're not married. She's looking her best. She's at his feet. And what does he do? I'm in. I'm all for this. But there's someone who has the right before me according to God's law. He's, he's not driven by personal preference here, but he's driven by respect for the word of God, right? He's not, he's not willing to compromise God's word even if he can justify the blessing it would create. Well, if I did this, you know, if I, if I took a step, I am a guardian redeemer, right? I'm kind of in line, and, you know, it would help her, and it would help the family, and it would keep the, the name in the family, keep the land in the family. Everyone would, everyone would benefit from this situation. Yeah, that's true, but there's someone else who has the right before him. So he's more willing to compromise his personal preference for the word of God. It's character. The goal is redemption so much that Ruth is willing to risk it all, but Boaz is risking his desire for what is right. And do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God rewards what's done in secret. He rewards what's done in secret, not what's done in front of everybody. What's done in secret True character is revealed behind closed doors. See, Ruth had a great reputation, right? She was known to the town as a woman of noble character, which is amazing. She's known as a person of character, but her character is even more revealed here. They're in a compromising situation, and they're just doing what is right. You may have a great reputation, but what happens in the middle of the night when no one's looking? What's happening behind closed doors? What's happening in your workplace when the boss isn't around? What's happening when, when you close the door and you can make the deal and the rest of the partners aren't aware? What's happening when you say you kiss your wife or your spouse, your husband goodbye, and then you go on with your day? What's happening when no one's looking? That's who you are. Ouch, right? Ouch. Maybe we be the kind of people that work on those moments. Because who we are in those moments reveals our character. And listen, I would, love, I would love to say that your character is revealed when you come and step on the stage or you come to church this morning and you sit in the chair nice. That's who your character is because you guys have amazing character. But that's not our character. Our character is revealed in the darkest moments. Our character is revealed in the hard times. That's our character. And here's people of character. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. So she heads out in the morning. He gives her some food. And she explains to, Ruth explains to Naomi everything that's happened. And this is what Naomi says. She says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. Wait until you see what comes. Wait. Look at somebody and say, wait. You've, you've acted, now wait. We planned, it took a radical faith and hope. Now wait for him to act. See, Boaz represents a type of Christ in this story. And Ruth kind of represents us. It's incredibly difficult to act in faith, right? It's incredibly difficult to take that step of faith, believing that God is, is, is guiding you and leading you, and, and you have to risk it all. But sometimes it takes even more faith to wait on God after you've made those moves. The Bible says to wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. And it's difficult to wait. It's difficult to wait. A little hope will give you life and vision and faith for your future. 
But hope means waiting for God to move. It doesn't mean just carrying on with whatever you want to do and just doing life. Notice that Ruth doesn't do anything else, right? She just doesn't settle in and say, okay, well, I gave it to God and I'm just going to live. If that happens, great. It doesn't. It means keeping it in the focus of your mind and heart. Praying continually and persistently. Believing in faith that God is going to move. It says, I'm in this. It's hard. It's difficult. But I have hope and so I wait. Now, it's hard to wait when you're in the fire, right? It's hard to wait when you're hungry. Elimelech, going back a couple chapters, it was hard for him to wait in the famine. It's hard to wait when your family is hurting. It's hard not to take matters into your own hands, and we're impatient. We want it solved, or we want answers this week. We pray, and we're like, ah, I didn't immediately receive an answer from God. He's not listening. Or we want answers this month. It's been a month. It's been 30 days, and I haven't heard. Or he hasn't solved. We want it, we want at least in a year. At least in a year. But if God was the God of immediate gratification, if God gave you the answer and the solution right away, it wouldn't require faith. It wouldn't require faith. It's in the waiting that our faith grows and develops. It's in the difficult situation when you've made the move and now you just got to wait for God to do his thing. You know, I told the story last week of my parents when they separated and how much hurt that caused me. And I remember in those, that, that time period feeling what I was feeling, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless, feeling abandoned, broken, hurting, angry, became so angry. I rededicated my life back to God in that time. I recommitted my life back to Jesus. I had some friends at church reach out to me, and I remember coming and standing at the back, and we'd go hang out afterwards. And it impacted me, and I re- recommitted my life back to God. Started reading my Bible, book of John, hung out in the New Testament because it's easier to understand than the Old Testament. Started going to church regularly, regularly. started going to the young adult program. It's around 18, turning 19. Started serving in the area that that had impacted me. I joined the dream team. They didn't call it the dream team. And then God started to give me vision for my future. I had a little bit of hope that my life was more than what was happening in my situation. But I had to wait. I had to wait. The vision God had given me, the direction he had told me was Bible college. So I dropped out of college at the time. I was at St. Clair College studying business. That's what I thought I was going to do because I had no idea. Dropped out of that and went to Bible college and I started doing that and I waited. I waited. And then I finished Bible college and I ended up in pastoral ministry. And do you know when, in that time when I was in Bible college, God gave me some visions of things that I would do in the ministry. I was around 21, 22 years old. It took 10 years for those visions to come to fruition. It's a funny story, I, when me and Jody first met, I don't know how we got talking about this, but we started talking about how I, how I think 32 years old is gonna be my year. I thought 32 years old is gonna be, gonna be my year. Because I figured by the time you're 32, you should have your career in place, whatever you're gonna do with your life, you know, your vocation. you likely have a family, hopefully, and then maybe some kids. So you kinda just, you, you got all set, you're in your prime. 
And I reached that about 28 because I got married to Jody and then we had a kid. And I was kind of like, oh man, I reached my, my prime at early. But on my 32nd year, those visions that God had given me came to fruition. The things that God had told me that I would do in ministry, those opportunities came. It was a few years ago, just a couple years ago. I remember Jody saying it to me. She's like, remember those dreams you had? I was like, oh yeah. I had to wait 10 years. 10 years. But man, did my faith grow. See, waiting takes time. But if we want to see God's will accomplished for our future, if we want to grow in our faith, we want to see him work in our situation, we have to be willing to wait. We have to wait and trust and have hope. And a little hope will do you. A little hope that he's going to get you out of this. A little hope that he's going to get you through this. A little hope that he has a plan in that situation. A little hope that he's working in your family. A little hope that the dreams he gave you will come. Just got to wait. I have hope for my future now, and so I wait. I have hope for my future now. I have hope for my kids' future, so I wait. I have hope for the future of Parkway. So we take the faith steps as God directs us, but we wait. We wait for God to do what God said he would do. Let me say it this way. Hope for your future, because Naomi did, right? Very hopeless situation. Had a little bit of hope. Got a plan in place. She hoped for a future. When God speaks, take the big radical step of faith. Ruth did. Ruth took a step of faith. It was radical. And Peter, when he got down off that boat and walked on water, that was a big faith step. If you feel God telling you to come, Jesus told him to come. He says, if that's you, Lord, walking on that water, you tell me to come. Jesus is like, come. If God's telling you to come, take the step of faith. And number three, wait. Wait for God to move. Because when God moves, that's when the true success, that's when the real, the real end game, that's when, that's when it all comes together the way it's supposed to be. Because God is in it. Because you didn't force it to happen, but God made it happen. Let me put it in question form and then, and then I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll be done for today. Number one, what are you hoping for in your future? What are you hoping for in your future? Number two, what faith move do you have to take? What is God saying to you, but you have yet to take that radical step of faith? Number three, are you in a place where you just need to wait on the Lord? Hope, take a step of faith, and wait. So, Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, very simply, we just ask, God, that you would help us to have hope. So we've been talking about in this whole series, hope is here. We have hope in you because of what you've done on the cross, what you continue to do in our lives, because of the promise of eternity. We have hope in you. We have hope in who you are. We have hope in what you promise you will do. And so I pray, God, for every person here today and listening through this through this message, Father God, that you would give hope, hope that, that, that breathes vision, God, and life into our lives, hope that helps us to see beyond the moment but picture what could be, hope that says that this is hard or difficult or unknown now, but there is coming a better day. 
hope, God. I pray that you would encourage us to take big steps of faith to trust in the things that you are, are speaking to us to do, God, to trust and, and believe, God, that, that the things that you're calling us to and, and encouraging us to do, God, that we can take that step of faith and you're in it. Help us to put the cards on the table. Help us to risk, Lord, for your name's sake, for your glory. Help people to risk, God, the, the, the financial risk. The, the, the relational risk, Father God, the job risk, whatever it means, God, the, the one that means going across the, the aisle and actually speaking to that person, encouraging them, or, or asking that person to church. Help us to take the faith move in Jesus' name. And God, I would say most importantly, in our culture, we're so busy and we're so, we're so, there's so much noise, Father God, um, vying for our attention. We can't, we can't stop moving. Help us to learn to wait to wait and believe that you are at work. And even though we may not see it in our timing, it does not mean that you are not working. And so just like Ruth had to wait on Boaz, help us learn to wait for your timing, to trust in your timing, in Jesus' name. Because I know, Father God, that what you have planned and purpose for every person here what you've planned and purpose for my life, what you've planned and purpose for, for Parkway Church, Father God, is far better if we wait on you than if we just act without waiting. In Jesus' name, we love you, God. We bless you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, go and hope, act, and wait on God. Bless you this morning. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.